All right, God is here, here at this little church and all good, this little Baptist church. Yeah, if you didn't know it, we are Baptists, we just don't act like it. Yeah, we know, it's what our cheerleaders say when they get an ace. Ace, you know, yeah, we know. Volleyball, what did I say? Cheerleaders, not cheerleaders, they're cheering on the side though, but anyway. Spirit-filled Baptist church, what about that? I want to clarify what happened this morning. Um, Many of us come in here and we start to experience the things of God and confusion wants to come in. I want you to know that God is not the author of confusion and that there was nothing confusing that went on this morning. And I'm going to support this with Scripture. The one thing that we don't want to happen in our life is for us to be like Michael, David's wife, as David came into into the city before the throne of God, dancing and leaping before the Lord. Now, I want you to know, Scripture tells us that David's heart was right and that his expression was good. But Michael, Michael, his wife, this is a girl, Michael despised, despised it, and she was barren for it. So we get, a, we get a, a word of prophecy, we get a word of knowledge, we see some healing, and then we start to hear some tongues and some prophesying, and we want to pull back. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I, I think that it is in, in our flesh normal. I think that comes normal to start thinking, ooh, what's going on? Now, I want to support this with Scripture. 1 Corinthians 14 says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. God desires prophecy. He desires his word for today to come through his church and through his people. He wants us to hear his word. Man cannot live on bread alone, but by the very word of God. God is feeding us today, giving us his word. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for he who understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So prophecy brings edification to the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if a trumpet makes an uncertain sound, anyway, I'm going to just skip ahead. It says that when tongues come, then let there be two or three and let there be interpretation. If there is, go ahead and read it yourself, but if there is no interpretation, then the one who is giving the tongue needs to be quiet. So, is it um, kingdom normality for there to be tongues and interpretations in the church? Yes. Is it kingdom, is that a word, normality? Is it, is it normal for the kingdom of God and his church for there to be prophesying? Yes. So, what I would encourage you to do is, you know, if you get a check in your spirit, if you're struggling a little bit, talk to God about it. Get out the word, start rubbing elbows with other Christians that believe in God's word and talk about it. It's really what God's trying to lead you to do, is to lead you to talk about him. 
to lead you to talk to one another about him and to grow, not to reject, not to run. Don't run. If it's God, it's good. That's where it leads us today is in the Sermon on the Mount on, being, on judgment. We've got to be able to judge, but we've got to judge correctly. We do not want to come into the church and have a great move of God and judge it incorrectly and reject it. We want to receive it. So, um, is it a good thing that we come in here today and we start worshiping and the gifts of the Spirit start to stir in His church? Yes. It is a good thing. It is not to be rejected. Is it to be tested? Yes. It needs to be tested. And that's probably what God's calling you to do. If you start to question and you get uncomfortable, God's calling you to test it. Is that me or is that not me? And if it's me, God, hold on to it. Hold on to that which is good. If it's not me, you need to judge it. You need to judge it according to a standard that God has given us in his word. Amen? Amen. This morning's good. I want to say as the pastor and as the leader of this church, this morning is good. And this is what we're looking for. We're looking for a move of God. We're looking for esophageal cancer, for throat issues to be healed today. For people to be delivered. There was a word given today about protection. I believe that that is a rhema word for today. For the church, for the community, for our nation. A word of protection. Thank you, Lord, for your word. All right. You ready? Sermon on the Mount. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We started this last week. We didn't start the Sermon on the Mount last week. <laughs> we started that a, way, a while's back. A while's back. Uh, Sermon on the Mount. Let's just, let's just read it. Oh, I'm not ready. Shoot, we'll just have to make do. Pete, be ready for me back there, buddy. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you you be not judged. For with the judgment you use, that you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Verse 3. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Verse 5. Hypocrite. It's an exclamation point. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we acknowledge that this is your teaching, Jesus. We acknowledge that you are trying so hard to speak directly to our heart for our protection, for our benefit, to bless us, to kingdom bless us. Lord, to give us hope, to give us breakthrough. You are leading us to breakthrough. And Lord, we are here to follow you and to follow your word. Holy Spirit, bring this word to life in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Just to review real quickly, last week we started looking at this word judgment and how it is such a hot topic in our our society today. And because of the rhetoric of the last 10 to 20 years, where the subject is so primary, where the subject of judgment is so primary, because people want to have the freedom to walk in any kind of sin that they want with no boundaries whatsoever. 
And if you challenge their morality, they call it intolerance. They say that we're off. If we try to identify sin, whether it's even in our own life or someone else's life, they say that we are judgmental and that we are wrong and that do like Jesus. Jesus said, don't judge. Well, no, that's not exactly what he said. And what happens is we even wind up with confusion in the church. Not only do we have confusion in the world, but we have confusion in the church. Now, remember, God is not the author of confusion. When confusion comes, it's something opposite from God. So we need to identify when we're confused, something's wrong. But if you remember from last week, judgment means to evaluate. To be able to evaluate what's right and what's good. And to be able to evaluate what's bad and what's harmful. In order to protect other people and to protect ourselves. We learned last week, and I'm going to show you the scripture from this, that judgment... I think I clicked it one too many times. Judgment, I did. Go back if you can. Judgment is necessary. Everybody say judgment is necessary. necessary. You know, if we didn't have judges and if we didn't have a court system, our nation would be chaotic. There has to be standards and rules and regulations and boundaries in what's safe and what isn't safe. If not, no one's safe. I'm really, I really kind of like rules, except for the rules I don't like. Does anybody relate? I like rules. I'm really kind of, I really kind of like rules. When we're playing a game, I'm a rule stickler. I drive my wife crazy because I'm getting out the directions. Where's the instructions? Ah, oh, don't worry about that. No, we got to have the instructions because you're doing this wrong. It's always somebody else's fault, right? You don't ever want the instructions when you're not doing it right. But when you're doing it wrong, when they're doing it wrong, it's what this scripture is all about right here. Judgment is necessary. And you're going to see in just a minute that Jesus in no way is forbidding judgment. But what he's doing is he is forbidding judgment using the wrong application of judgment, using the wrong spirit with harshness that we can develop. We're going to see in the next scripture that even in the, that the Bible commands us to judge in a biblical way. We need to evaluate what's right. We need to declare what's right. We need to declare what's wrong so that others are protected, so that we are protected and liberated and set free. The Old Testament and New Testament equally show that when correct judgment is uh, released from God's people, that God blesses that nation, that God blesses that people. And vice versa, that when God's people do not correctly judge, that uh, circumstances and things happen uh, to those that don't judge. When we refuse to judge, what happens? Trouble. The door is opened up to trouble when we don't make the right decisions. John seven twenty four says, don't judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And you'd say that contradicts itself. No, it doesn't. We're going to see that God is calling us to judge, but to judge correctly. And that word correctly is a pretty deep word. It's not just with the attitude that you judge. It's not just with the spirit that you judge. It's not just with the knowledge that you judge, but that you go through the certain steps before you judge. And we're not going to like those steps. Let me just warn you. Those steps are hard. We're going to get to it today real quickly, if I can just keep on going. It says, whatever... uh, Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. 
Jesus gives us a motivation to obey this command in verse 1. Judge not lest you be judged. And what he is saying is basically don't judge unless you're judging with the right spirit. Then in verse 2 he gives us the motivation to obey. He says whatever judgment you judge with. Do you remember from verse 2? Pete, can you jump around for me? Can you go back to verse 2? No, not that one. That's okay. If you've got your Bibles out, let's just, just turn in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 2, Pete. That's verse 3. For with what judgment you judge, Pete's mama's coming to his rescue. I don't know if y'all heard that. <laughs> For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. Now, in the scripture just before, it says don't judge. But with what judgment that you judge, you will be judged. And that measure, that will be measured back to you. So there's a warning here to judge correctly. Whatever judgment you use, because you need to use a standard of judgment. And you know what? You would better use the right standard. Have you ever been judged by someone with the wrong standard? And I believe that judgment and standard can be used interchangeably. Whatever measure you pick to judge others, or whatever standard you pick to judge others, you will be judged by that measure. Jesus is saying, don't be harsh. Don't have a critical spirit, but judge with mercy. But that we've just seen, that, but we still need to judge, but with righteous judgment. And here's the warning that comes here in this scripture, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. It is the sowing and reaping principle that whatever you sow, you're going to reap. If you sow critical judgment, you're going to reap critical judgment. If you sow harsh judgment, you're going to reap harsh judgment. Jesus was giving this as a deterrent, saying if you judge harshly, you will be judged harshly, trying to get us to judge correctly. But I want to encourage you just a minute, don't take this to the wrong conclusion. We can't go so far to say is that if I don't judge harshly, no one will ever judge me harshly. It's not saying that. Jesus Christ did not judge harshly. He did not judge without mercy. But he was treated harshly. Jesus isn't saying that we will be free from people being critical of us if we're not critical of them. What he's saying is, what you sow, you'll reap. Now, are, are y'all following me? Jesus never said that we wouldn't face challenges in our life, but he did say he would be with us through those challenges. And that those challenges wouldn't be more than we could handle, and we would overcome them in better shape than when we started. God works out all things for good for those who love him and are called to his purpose. He never said we wouldn't have problems. He just said he would not abandon us in those problems. So you can see here that Jesus Christ judged correctly, but people were still very harsh and very critical. I don't think there's anybody that's ever been more critical of, that people have been more critical of than Jesus. I mean, they killed him for it. So don't take this the wrong way. But even though we sow and reap, it doesn't just say that we will reap here on, in this age, but also that we will reap in the age to come. Do you know that when you die or when Jesus comes back, you are going to face the righteous judge? 
There is a judge, whether you believe it or not, and the righteous judge is going to judge what, you, how, what kind of life you've lived. And, I, and Scripture shows us that with the same measure that we use, it will be measured back to us. So there is great benefit to judging correctly. There's great warning to judging incorrectly. Amen? So there's an eternal dimension as well. It's critical that we judge with a tender spirit, with, a patient, with patience, and with the right attitude. Because of what we walk through today and what we walk through for eternity. But it's so easy for people to annoy us. It's so easy for us to get bent out of shape with the way people act toward us sometimes. And many times in our natural flesh, we respond with judgment. And Jesus here is saying, don't do that. Don't go there. Restrain yourself. It's better off not to go there because there are consequences. It, does, it, it does, doesn't just matter to the person you're judging, but it matters to you. And it will have effect on your life. Have you ever been judgmental of someone and it directly affected you? I have. And I wished I hadn't. But verse 3 through 5, Jesus now starts to tell us how to respond to faults with our brother. Now I want you to catch that three times in this scripture he talks about your brother. He's not talking about a disconnected relationship or a not very intimate relationship or not a close relationship. He's talking about a brother. I think either spiritually or in the natural, a close relationship. You know, if you and I are not close, I really don't have a, 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 a clear right to speak into your life critically. I don't know you. You don't know me. You don't know my heart well enough to know what, where I'm coming from. It just gets taken the wrong way. That's why the people that I'm closest to, really the door opens for them to be able to speak directly to my heart and me speak directly to theirs. Because we've developed a relationship of trust and of love. And I know the people that, speak, that have that right to speak into my heart are doing it for my benefit, not, not to hurt me. So here we see your brother. Everybody say brother. This is talking about your brother and your sister. It's talking about your close relationships. People that you have built trust with. I think that's a key word. If you, go to your, if you see in your brother a fault, not a distant relationship, and he uses this word speck in your brother's eye, you see a fault. Now let me tell you, there is a speck in his eye. Scripture's not saying the guy's without fault. He's not saying it's not there. But if you remember, right before Matthew chapter 7, the last verse was, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. If we are seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and then step in to be able to notice what's going on in our brother's life, we are going to give different counsel. The problem is we just want to go on into that guy's speck without seeking first the kingdom. So we can't get ahead of ourselves. Have you ever been in school and, and you find out your, your final at the end of the year is cumulative? I hate that word. I like to just study what we're studying today, not what we've studied for the whole semester. But the Sermon on the Mount is cumulative. It has been building and building and building. We can't go into judgment and leave out Matthew 6.33. I would encourage just the opposite. Leave out the judgment and focus on Matthew 6.33. 
Did y'all get that? Forget the judgment, Matthew 6.33. Get Matthew 6.33 right, then you can step into maybe helping somebody. Because you're going to be different. We're getting kind of deep here. Hang in there with me. You know, and when you're doing Matthew 6.33, you know what happens? You start to notice specks in your brother's eye. Why? Because you are seeking righteousness and you're starting to see truth and you start to see faults in your brother. Are you? Okay. Have you ever been there? Have you ever started to get truth and all of a sudden you see faults in other people? Jesus is saying this is going to be a big distraction for you if you're not careful. How many of you have ever seen somebody get on fire for God and next thing you know they're telling you everything you're doing wrong? Doesn't that just turn you off? And that turns the world off. You come in here and you get filled with the Spirit, you get on fire for God, then you start going out into the world and telling them everything they're doing wrong. Well, no wonder they don't want anything to do with the church. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and don't get off track looking at the speck in your brother's eye. Because if you get that critical spirit... Because you see that your brother might be a little bit less committed than you are, you're going to get distracted in your walk with God, and you're going to wind up less committed. Then verse 5 says, remove the log. Everybody say log. <laughs> log. One, one uh, translation says plank. He says, you've seen the speck in your brother's eye. You've seen his fault, and it's a real fault. But you're looking over the bigger issue in your life. And you know, the, the funny thing is, your, pro, your brother does, probably doesn't even know that you've got a log in your eye because you hide it. You cover it up. You've hidden it. But you and the Lord are aware of it. The Lord says, hey, don't be more zealous to help your brother on a smaller issue than you are zealous to confront your own issue. Be zealous after your issue. If you're more zealous to help a little area in your brother and you have a big area in your own life, Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. He's talking to the church, by the way. And he doesn't just say hypocrite. He says hypocrite with an exclamation point. Who says it? If you're, bat- if you're fighting with your brother over his speck and you're not dealing with your plank, Jesus is shouting to you, hypocrite. Not to hurt you. To wake you up. Say, I want to help you with this big issue. You've got a big issue in your life. Someone would say, why are you so hard on that guy over there? And you say, well, because I love him so much. And I just love righteousness so much. And I just want to confront it in their their life. And he's just not doing the right things. Have you ever had somebody be judgmental on you and they're, they're doing the same thing? How does that work for you? That doesn't work for me. Man, go take care of your own problems. Don't worry about mine. Go take care of your own. I'm, I'm battling mine too. Thanks for identifying that booger hanging out of my nose. But man, you've got, you got a banana hanging out of your nose. You know, come on. I got a little thing in my teeth. Man, you've got something hanging out of... You know, and I'm not even dealing with what you got hanging out. But by the way, have you ever had somebody be critical with you and they respond with critical, criticalness back? I love that too. Hey, you're doing this. Well, you're doing that. Well, I wish I hadn't said that. 
The issue is, deal with your own stuff. Be zealous to deal with your own stuff. You know what he's saying? Readjust your focus. Matthew 7, 5. Matthew 7, 5. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't consider the plank in your own eye? Whoops. How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. He says, hypocrite, remove the plank. You will see clearly. Hypocrite, remove the plank. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I want you to catch something here in this scripture. He doesn't tell us not to help our brother with a speck. He's still saying that we're going to help our brother. We're just going to help it differently by dealing with our log in our eye first. Why would he do that? Why would he say to do with our log first? Well, I believe that there is a sequence to judging righteously, and part of it is dealing with us. Do you know if you'll spend most of your time dealing with you, you won't have time to deal with what your brother's going through? But it says that if you'll deal with what you're going through, you're going to see clearly. You know what happens when you've got a log in your eye? When you're looking at the speck in your brother's eye, you know what's happening? You don't see clearly. You see it through the filter of the log in your eye. Imagine a log in your eye and you trying to, imagine me holding my, this up here like right here with you, Justin. I'll do this because I can't even see you at all. And I'm trying to identify something in you. I can't see you clearly. But if I remove the plank, now I can see clearly. And what's amazing is, is that if we allow the Lord to really deal with the log in our eye, when we see that speck in our brother's eye, we're going to approach it in a different way. We're going to approach it with mercy and kindness and gentleness because God has just been merciful and kind and gentle to us. We're going to see it differently. We're going to see clearly. The key phrase, the process that we engage in removing the big areas of compromise and weakness in our life, when we're diligent about it, you know what it is? You know what the, the big logs in your, in your eyes are? So many times it's pride, it's bitterness, it's lust and greed and rejection. And I've got rejection in here twice. I typed it wrong, but I think that's really not a typo. It's rejection. I think the Lord's really trying to say something to me in my error. It's rejection. Somebody, that's a word for somebody today. It's defensiveness. Here, I got a word for you. It's unforgiveness. You have got unforgiveness and you're trying to look at somebody else's problem and help them deal with that problem through the filter of your own unforgiveness. And you know what it does? It messes up your thoughts. It messes up your actions. It messes everything up. You are not qualified to help get that speck out of their eye. You're unqualified because you can't see. I don't want a surgeon to do surgery on me with his eyes closed, with his eyes blindfolded. And you're trying to help somebody out of their problem with your eyes blindfolded. Well, go get the blindfold off of your eyes, then maybe we'll talk about what you can see. That's what the Lord is saying. Let me get the blindfold off of your eyes. Can I encourage you just for a minute? You need to consider that you have a blindfold over your eyes. 
You need to say, Jesus, you're teaching from, the, from your word today, and the pastor's saying we need to remove the plank. Okay, then I need to accept the fact that I may have a plank in my eye. If you bypass that, you're going to miss it completely. Oh, yeah, I know he's got a plank in his eye. Justin, you got a plank in your eye. I know that. Hey, that's a good word. That's a word just for you today. God's got a word for you. And he says, get that plank out of your eye before you start looking at that speck in my eye. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, Paul, get the plank out of your eye before you even think about dealing with the speck in somebody else's eye. But Jesus is saying, but I do want you to help with that speck. But I want you to help with that speck righteously, in kindness, in love, and in order to help build them back up, not tear them down. Jesus is a restorer. His word of correction is to restore and to protect and to redeem, not to condemn and to push down and to reject. And you can't have that ability with the plank in your eye. Deal with the plank. Why? Because when you deal with your plank, you're going to have testimony. And you remember Revelation 12, 12, 11 says, we overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. So when I come to Justin to deal with the speck in his eye, I have testimony of my plank, and I can give that testimony to encourage him, hey, Justin, I've been through that before. This is how I got through it. Justin says, okay, he's been through it before. He's not even being that hard on me. He's just trying to help me. Okay, how did you get through it? Let me give it to you. I have testimony. And you know, because I've just come through it, I'm sensitive to him. I'm not just reading a book and telling somebody instructions how to do it. I'm giving my life experience of how Christ has rescued me. Wednesday night we had a testimony from Sarah Nelson about worry. I have gotten so much great feedback, response from that testimony. People have been set free that have not even talked to you, Sarah. Because that word went forth. And it's not in your power anymore. It's in the power of Christ. It's in the power of Christ. And she's been delivered from worry. And there's been others in the church Wednesday night that got delivered from worry because of the testimony. So she's not coming to tell you, you got worry? Well, that's wrong. You don't need to have that. That's just, a, that's just potty talk. You don't know. She's saying, no, I've been there. And it's real. And the Lord has rescued me. And he wants to rescue you. Can I pray with you? And can I follow up with you tomorrow? And can I help put things together to get you free? They're sitting there going, yes, you can Get the log out of your eye. Get the log out of your eye. Be zealous for the log in your heart. Be zealous for the log in your eye. Quit being zealous for what everybody else's problem is. And be zealous for what your problem is. We all stand up. We're just going to close. David, if, if the ushers would come. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. We're going to do the Baptist thing. Sit back down. Stand up. Ushers, y'all come on up, and we're going to do communion right now. And I've asked one of my deacons to lead us with communion today. But before we do that, I just want to say, before you take communion today, I want to take just a minute, just a minute of silence to ask the Lord to reveal the log in your eye. Would you please be willing?
to let the Lord do some surgery on you today? Go ahead. Father, we just, we just make ourselves available to you right now. Not to show us what's wrong with someone else, but to show us what's wrong with us. For pride or for lust or for rejection or for some sin that we're covering up. For unforgiveness and bitterness. Show us, Lord, right now. In 1 Corinthians 11, oh, it really ties right into the whole message today. It says in verse 27, Therefore he who eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For... For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. And so really it's a real clear instruction from the Lord before we take communion to get the plank out of our own eye. And, and notice God's heart in it. It says if we would judge ourselves, we'd not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. And that's God's heart. God wants us to take a look at ourselves, allow the Holy Spirit to reveal things, and just say yes to God today. That's what the Lord wants us to do, is, is, is to say yes. So let's continue to allow the Lord to show us. That I want to share one thing about communion today that there was a word today talking about things that have gone on in heaven and things that happen on earth as a result of what's going on in heaven the word that Sarah gave well when we take communion and we share in the Lord's Supper what we're saying is that we believe. We believe. Paul said, I received from the Lord that which I delivered also to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night 
when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When we take the bread, I just want you to say to the Lord, I believe. I believe your body was broken for me. Let's partake of the bread. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. When we look at this blood, this blood represents the blood of Jesus that in heaven was put on the mercy seat of God that obtained an eternal redemption for everyone that has ever lived and will ever live. And when you take this cup and you drink it, what you say is, I believe. I believe that blood was shed for me to obtain the eternal redemption for me that I am completely forgiven and accepted in your eyes, O oh God. Let's take the cup and say, I believe. Thank you, Jesus, that your body was broken for us, that your blood was shed for us, that we're accepted, God. We're accepted. We're accepted. We're forgiven. We're completely righteous before you, God. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. I'm going to dismiss you, but those that are praying with me, we all stand up with me, everybody. I'm going to dismiss you in prayer, but those that need prayer today, I'm just going to open up the altar when I dismiss for you all to come down and be prayed for. Please don't miss that opportunity. If you've come in here with a prayer need and you have a need at all, we want to pray with you today. But also just want to say, have a great Labor Day. Have a great day off. Have a great time with your friends. Be safe. But enjoy your time together. We've got the Caldbecks, who the, who the men, the, these are missionaries. Come on up here with me. These are missionaries from uh, Italian missionaries. That are, The boys are all going back this week. So we're losing them, and I hate it. I hate it so much. But we just wanted to pray for you guys and send you guys out and in, under God's blessing and under his uh, protection and may his anointing and uh, spirit go with you. Amen. So as I dismiss you, let's just agree together. Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray over the callbacks right now. Just pray provision. Pray that your spirit would be upon them. Lord, that you would give them safe travels. Lord, that you would bless these men and, and the ladies that are, being, uh, that are staying back. Lord, that they would be protected and cared for. Lord, we just pray that your mighty work would be done through this family. What it is that you desire to accomplish, that they would accomplish, Lord. 
that they wouldn't lack a resource, that they wouldn't lack your spirit, that they would have everything that they need. Bless the callbacks in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I just pray over this congregation. Just say that you ask that you would bless us, protect us, give us a great holiday weekend. Lord, let us let us be a blessing to you. Lord, let us walk in your word. Let us walk the spirit, the, the sermon on the mount. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great holiday weekend. We'll see you Wednesday night.